John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending of the Son of Man. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Would you all pray with me one more time? Father, I do ask of you to speak to us through your word. We ask and pray that you open up our hearts. Uh, many of us, uh, our hearts are so jaded. Um, so closed, so divided, Uh, whatever the issues might be, we ask and pray that you will shield our hearts for this next half an hour or so as we listen to your word. Uh, May you speak to us, minister to our hearts, and help us to really um, not only listen, but to really obey and to live out your word each and every day. Uh, Be with us today during this time. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys are taking notes, the title of today's message is Encountering Jesus. Encountering Jesus. Friends, before we start this morning, if I can ask you guys to take a trip down uh, memory lane, right? If you can take a trip down memory lane. And as we start off this morning, let me ask us a question. Friends, do you remember? Do you remember the first time you were introduced to the gospel? The first time you heard of the character of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's been too long for some of us since we grew up in the church, we've been going to church for as long as we can remember. Or maybe for some of us, we do remember. It was at that VBS, or it was at that retreat, or at that revival, or at that mission trip. Or maybe it was through our parents, or through our siblings, or our friends, or a combination of all of the above. When was the, last, when was the first time you've ever heard the good news? Regardless of the timing, the people, and the method, one thing's for sure. We are where we are today because someone or some people led you to Jesus or pointed you to Jesus. We are sitting here today, or we are where we are in our Christian journey today because somebody or some group of people prayed for you and led you to Jesus or pointed you in the direction of the cross. Or if we look at it from a bigger perspective, we are where we are today because God loves you so much. He chose to use somebody or some group of people in our lives to point you and lead you to him. Friends, that's exactly what's happening in today's passage. As well as in our previous passage, God used John the Baptist to lead two of his disciples to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And then God used Andrew to lead his brother, Simon Peter, 
to Jesus. And then in today's passage, we see Philip, how God uses Philip to lead his good friend Nathaniel to Jesus. And this is how the church began. This is the first sighting of the birth of the church. Not with some planning or some budgeting meetings, not with some great revival, but with ordinary people sharing the extraordinary story of Jesus Christ to their family and to their friends. No special effects, no magic tricks, but a simple testimony and an invitation to have others simply come and see and experience for themselves Jesus Christ. Uh, just a quick background. Today's, uh, previously in verse 35, as Jesus passes by John the Baptist and his crew and his disciples, it was John the Baptist who actually leads his disciples to look to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, to follow him rather than following John the Baptist, and to become disciples of Jesus rather than be- being a disciple of John the Baptist. And as the two disciples, one of them uh, named Andrew, began spending time with Jesus, they couldn't help but to share about this Jesus. They couldn't help but to share just how incredible, just how amazing Jesus really was. And as we see Andrew, he was sharing with his brother Peter or Simon that they have found the Messiah. And then in today's passage in verse 44, as Jesus is on his way to Galilee, he finds this man by the name of Philip. And as he finds this man, Philip, he asks of him, or he invites him to follow me. Now in response, we see no record of how, record of how Philip responded to the call. Right? There's no details regarding what they talked about. Nothing like Philip leaving everything to follow Jesus, or Philip falling at the foot of Jesus in repentance. But what we do know is how Philip becomes a disciple of Jesus, and immediately, one of the first things that he does, one of the first things that he does after he follows Jesus is he goes to his friend, Nathaniel, to share with him about Jesus Christ. I believe this was what the author intended us to focus on, because we all have our own stories, don't we? We all have our own stories and how we met Jesus. It was all different. Some of us, we met him when we were young. Some of us, we only just met him last year. And not to diminish our stories or our initial interaction with Jesus, but John, the author of this gospel, focuses on the contagious aspect of the gospel. Not to diminish our own story of how we met Jesus, but John is focusing on, in this portion of the text, just how contagious uh, contagious. The gospel is. It's like this Korean hashtag. It, it's, it sounds so nice in Korean, but I try to translate it in English. It doesn't sound as nice. But it's like this Korean hashtag that's been trending right now on social media, which uh, translates, there are people who have never seen it once, but there is nobody who has only seen it once. Talking about like a viral video, right? If anyone sees it for the first time, it was probably not the last time they will see it because it's so contagious they will want to see it over and over and over again. This concept that once you hear the gospel, once you encounter Jesus in a real and personal way, you cannot help but to share with others regarding this good news. But then the question is, then, Pastor Gunn, I've heard the gospel. I believe in Jesus. How come 
I'm not as enthusiastic about sharing the gospel. Maybe it's because it's been too long since we encountered the Jesus that we once knew. Maybe we have never personally encountered Jesus in an intimate way. Friends, suppose you just discovered the best fried chicken restaurant in Connecticut, or your celebrity crush walks into your store, or that you just received a scholarship that you didn't even know that you applied for, and it covers your whole tuition. What would you do? You would would want to share it with as many people as possible. And likewise, if you meet Jesus and encounter Jesus in a real and personal way, the automatic outcome, the response, it leads to outreach. It leads to evangelism, testimonies that you can't help but to share with others. Which leads us to our first point. Encounter with Jesus leads to testimonies. Encounter with Jesus leads to testimonies. Now, if you look at verse 43, after Philip encounters Jesus for himself, he realizes something incredible, something amazing about this Jesus guy, that he is indeed the Messiah, he is indeed the Christ, whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about, meaning every chapter, right? Moses, talking about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the New Te- Old Testament, and the prophets, meaning the prophetical books, to summarize the Old Testament, every chapter, every book of the Old Testament has been leading and pointing to Jesus Christ. And this man, this dude that, we just, that he just encountered is that guy. Now, although there are no details regarding just how long of a duration Philip spent with Jesus or what kind of training he received before reaching out to his good friend Nathaniel, one thing that we do know is that Philip, just like Andrew, was fully convinced. He was sold. He was fully convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He convinced enough to go and share with his close friend Nathaniel. So we see in verse 45 that Philip finds Nathaniel. And he says to him, we have found him. We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's like Philip has just cracked the code. He has just cracked the riddle, has solved the puzzle, something that they've been searching for all their lives. Finally, the answer is right before them. Yet how Nathaniel responds seems a bit cynical, seems a bit skeptical. Look with me in verse 46. Verse 46, Nathaniel responds by saying, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? How can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nathaniel is not throwing shade at the actual location of Nazareth. Okay? I know some of us, including myself, are very, very guilty of throwing shade at Connecticut. Right? Oftentimes, how can anything good come out of Connecticut? There's many good things that could come out of Connecticut, right? That's not what Nathaniel was saying here. What he meant by this was, how could Messiah, if he is really the Christ, if he is really the Son of God, if he is really the Messiah, how could he be born in such an unknown, unpopular, small town like Nazareth? Why not like New York City or Chicago or Boston? Nazareth? Like, you see... Jews were expect they were expecting the Messiah to be born in somewhere more meaningful, somewhere more profound, a bit more special, like Bethlehem. Right? Matthew chapter two. If you look at me in verse forty-six, it says they were expecting the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. 
not Nazareth. So you see, Nathaniel had a point. And I think one thing that I believe we can learn from Nathaniel and how he responds is we need to learn how to ask really good questions. For many of us who grew up in a Korean immigrant church like me, there are so many great things we can learn from our parents' generation. So many great things we can learn from our first-generation brothers and sisters. Their spiritual fervor and their devotion to prayer and their word, I think we lack that as a second and third generation. Their willingness to sacrifice everything for the sake of Jesus and for his church, I think we can learn a lot from that. However, as I was growing up, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I had a question, whenever there was things that I didn't really understand, whenever I asked a question, it was often met not with an answer, but a look, right? Like, why would you ask that question? Just believe and have faith. Have you guys ever encountered that before? Right? Or kind of like this tension. You're not allowed to ask questions. Just obey. Because having questions about the Bible means you are lacking faith. So you just got to believe. I don't know if you guys, ever, ever, if you guys have ever gotten this response from uh, a church before. But I feel terribly guilty because I've done this just this week alone at home. Right? Uh, Julie was asking me questions about the book of Genesis. And I believe I was like, I was folding laundry. I was doing something. And she was like, oh, hey, I have a question about Genesis. And I was just like, hey, I'm just busy. Why don't you go ask Google? Right? Terrible husband, I know. Uh, going back to the passage, you see, the author of this gospel, author of this book, author of this book, could have easily just skipped Nathaniel and Philip's response and cut straight to the interaction between Nathaniel and Jesus. But I think the reason why John incorporated, the reason why John included this portion of the text in the Bible is so that we can learn and realize that asking good questions is not necessarily a bad thing, but it perhaps is a great thing. Friends, when the Bible teaches to have, teaches us to have faith, I don't think God intended us to simply be naive and believe everything we hear. There's a clear difference between having faith and being naive. Friends, I want to encourage you to keep me accountable by not just believing everything I say here on the pulpit, but always go back to the scripture and ask good questions, especially if things don't align. Whatever I'm teaching here on the pulpit, if it's not according to the scripture, please, I beg of you to call me out. Learn to ask good questions. But second, another lesson we can learn from today's story is how you don't necessarily have to have all the answers to all the questions to lead someone to Jesus. Meaning, you don't have to be a Bible expert or a theologian to lead someone to Jesus Christ. What's amazingly hopeful about today's encounter between Philip and Nathaniel is how Philip didn't try to argue or go on a theological debate or battle with Nathaniel to convince him in believing in Jesus. All Philip said in today's passage was what? Come and see. And perhaps that's where we drop the ball. That's where we miss the mark. We think we're not qualified to evangelize to our friends because we do not have all the answers to the questions, right? We can read all the books, we can read all the articles online, but we feel like we're not fully equipped to evangelize to the people around us. So we say, I'll take a rain check. Let me prepare myself first. 
with all the answers to the questions they might ask, and then maybe I can evangelize. Well, look at Philip, and let's learn from him. Friends, if possible, sure, we can try to answer questions, but it's not our job. It is not our duty. It's not our calling to get into a theological debate with our friends to see who is right and who's wrong. Our job is to be an arrow that points and that leads others to Jesus, not to deflect the arrow. What did it take Philip to convince Nathaniel to go meet Jesus? What is, was it his incredible knowledge of theology? No, we see no record of a theological debate, no gimmicks, no bribery. Somebody's like, hey, I'll buy you dinner or I'll buy you lunch if you come to church with me. I've done that so many times. 99% of the time it doesn't work. Why? If you're leading them with bribery, then you will only lead them to what you're bribing them to, right? Lead them with Jesus and you will lead them to Jesus. You see, although Nathaniel had questions, he still followed Philip to meet Jesus because of the relationship that they already had, as well as the sincerity and the genuineness that, he, uh, that Philip had in regarding sharing about Jesus Christ. For some of us, if we were to think back, how did we come to know Jesus? It was probably because someone genuinely cared for you and loved you and prayed for you, and they just desperately desired for you to come meet Jesus. It wasn't because of their knowledge of theology or of the Bible. It was because of their love for God and their love for you. I want what he has. Why is it that he's suffering so much, yet he seems fine? Why is it that she's going through so much, yet she seems happy? Right? Many of us started coming to church or was introduced to Jesus not by a Bible expert. But we were convinced because someone genuinely cared for us, loved us, and desired for us to meet Jesus. Yeah, but Pastor Gunn, I was, I was uh, led to Jesus from my youth pastor, right? Like, I'm a pastor. I don't know much. I'm still a beginner when it comes to the Word of God. Some of us have maybe encountered Jesus for the first time, maybe at a retreat or during a revival. We don't remember, right? Do you guys remember any of the sermons that you heard during a revival or a retreat that led you to Jesus? No. I remember I was, I went to church for as long as I remember. I don't remember any sermon. Maybe because I was falling asleep for all of them. But what's crazy is through those times I was falling asleep, through all the sermons that I don't remember, God brought me to Jesus through the people. How? Through the genuine love of the witness. Friends, that's the beauty and the power of genuine loving friendships. There are no ABCs or specific guidelines to evangelism. There are tons of books on evangelism, how to evangelize, how to do outreach. But at the core of it all, I think it starts with love. Your genuine love for God and your genuine love for people. For them to know Jesus. For them to have what you have. But as we build this friendship with people around us, Jesus is the one who works through you to reach out to them. Meaning it is not your job to convert people. If you've ever tried, you are unable. We are unable to convert anyone. We can't even change ourselves. How do we expect to change someone else? Right? We all have friends who are unbelievers. We all have people in our lives who do not know Jesus. Why do you think God placed them in your life? Your coworkers, your family members, your friends. Why do you think God placed him in your life? I believe it is because of this reason. 
For God to use you, for God to use us to genuinely love them. No strings attached. To care for them. And to ultimately lead them to Jesus. What does Philip say? Come and see. Friends, I believe there's a big difference between go and see and come and see. God's not calling us to simply point them in the direction so that they can figure it out for themselves. No, he calls us to walk with them on their journey as they encounter Jesus for themselves. Go and see is so much easier than come and see. Why? Because it takes commitment. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. Anyone can bring someone to church. Well, some of us even have a hard time doing that. But God's not calling us to simply point them to Jesus. He's calling us to walk alongside them as they get to know and encounter Jesus for themselves. It takes time. It takes effort. But friends, I don't know about you guys, but there's no greater gift. There's no greater gift than to see somebody that you genuinely care for coming to know the beauty of the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world compares to seeing somebody, their lives being flipped upside down as they get to know Jesus Christ. There's no greater honor. There's no greater gift. And maybe because we haven't fully experienced that yet, that we are not reaching out. I pray that each and every one of us will get to experience that great joy this year. Let's start praying for our non-Christian friends. Let's start praying for those around us. Yeah, Pastor Gone, but they, they have no interest in Jesus. Well, Jesus is interested in them. That's why God has placed you in their lives. So why not pray for them? God's not asking you to convert them. He's not asking you to convince them. He's asking you to love them. I've read somewhere that an average person, an average person needs to hear the gospel seven times before they come to know Jesus. Some of us haven't even shared the gospel seven times in our entire lives. When was the last time you encountered oh, somebody? When was the last time? Sorry. When was the last time somebody encountered Jesus through you? As we begin this new semester, as we personally encounter Jesus, may we not just hoard all the blessings for ourselves. May it lead to more and more testimonies to those around us. These powerful testimonies of how you have found a Savior in Jesus Christ and how you desire to share this good news to those around us. So first, encounter with Jesus leads to testimonies. And number two, encounter with Jesus leads to peace and hope everlasting. Encounter with Jesus leads to peace and hope everlasting. In the second portion of our passage, we can see that Jesus is the true peace that we are longing for. Jesus is the true peace that we are longing for. As Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus, we see in verse 47 that Jesus takes the initiative to strike a conversation with Nathaniel. Look with me, starting in verse 7. What does Jesus say? He says, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, that's a rather odd way of starting a conversation, right? I mean, we don't use that word anymore, behold, right? But it says, Hey, look, it's an Israelite, and there's no fault in him. And now when Nathaniel asked, we haven't even met. How do you know who I am? In verse 48, this is how Jesus responds. Well, before Philip called you and invited you to come see me, I saw you when you were under that fig tree. Now that's just creepy, right? Like how would you feel when someone says, 
or recalls a memory of yours that you don't recall anyone being around you. To which Nathaniel responds, Rabbi or teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. I don't know about you guys, but when I first read this, it didn't make any sense. Again, why is it that Jesus calls out that Nathaniel was from, Nathaniel was an Israelite, that he was sitting under the fig tree, and all of a sudden Nathaniel becomes a follower of Jesus? How does that work? That doesn't work in my brain. Right? Does this make sense to you? It didn't, it didn't to me initially. Right? But in this weird encounter or this weird interaction between Nathaniel and Jesus, Nathaniel believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and that he's the King of Israel. So what's happening here? Let me explain. Jesus being fully divine, right? Jesus is God. Jesus being fully divine, being the Word that became flesh, being the Word that was existing from the very beginning and being God himself, he can definitely foresee that Nathaniel was coming to meet him. However, Jesus points out in verse 48 that he saw Nathaniel sitting under the tree, sitting under the fig tree, which is very symbolic in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of Zechariah, in the book of Micah, these prophetical books that prophesy about the future, whenever someone is pictured sitting under a fig tree, it signifies peace. It signifies a sense of comfort, protection that comes from restoration of the world where there is no more war, where there is no more conflict, no more violence. So when someone is sitting under the fig tree, they are desperate for peace. Oftentimes, Jewish rabbis would sit under the fig tree to study the law. So what did Jesus see Nathaniel doing? What was Nathaniel doing right before Philip came? Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree as he too was meditating upon the scripture, as he was meditating upon the Old Testament, maybe the book of Zechariah, maybe the book of Micah, meaning Nathaniel was searching the scripture for true peace. He was searching, he was desperate for peace in his life. He too was longing or yearning for a sense of comfort and protection, answers to life that would give him true peace. And as Jesus is pointing this out, Nathaniel realizes things are clicking in his head. Nathaniel realizes that Jesus is actually the answer to all the questions. That Jesus is indeed the true peace that he's been longing for. That Jesus is indeed the one that all the prophets are pointing to. To in which he responds, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are what I've been longing for all this time. You are the source of true peace. You are everything that the scripture writes about, personified. But friends, how about us? Do we believe that Jesus indeed offers true peace? Because more often than not, we see Jesus as just one of the many avenues, one of the many options in which, we can, in which could grant us peace. But not just as the only source. We struggle with this disease called spiritual ADHD. Where we hear and we read from the Bible that Jesus offers true peace. Yet we are also quick to forget. Thinking that what this world has to offer is in a sense giving us a better peace. In a sense we are lost sheep. Desperately in need of a rescue from our true shepherd. 
But friends, the beauty of the gospel is this. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, our true shepherd, has come down from heaven to earth as the word became flesh on a search rescue mission, not only to rescue you from the trenches of the world, but to also remind you that he is the answer, to remind you that he is what we've been searching for all our lives. He's saying, here I am. I am the true peace and the true hope that you've always been longing for. I know your pains. I know your scars. I know your sufferings that you're going through. Although Nathaniel encountered Jesus for the first time that day, Jesus was well aware of Nathaniel long before. I believe the same goes for us. He knows us inside out. And he is the answer. In fact, he is the answer. Not only does Jesus remind Nathaniel that he is the true peace, but he goes even further. He goes a step further to remind both Nathaniel as well as all of us here today that he is not only the true peace, but he's also the true hope that we are to long for. Jesus is the true hope that we are, long, we are to long for. What do I mean by this? Jesus is not simply interested in giving us what we need or what we've been longing for. Maybe some of us have been longing for a sense of comfort, sense of security, sense of peace. But he goes above and beyond, more than we can ever imagine. Look at me in verse 50. Verse 50, Jesus promised Nathaniel that he will see greater things than these. What does it mean? You will see greater things than these. And then he goes on in verse, in verse 51 that he will see heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending of the Son of Man. What is Jesus talking about here? To Nathaniel, who is a Bible expert, who is a, a student of the Bible, he, it would trigger, oh, Jesus is talking about Genesis 28. He's talking about the story of Jacob, right? He's, Jesus is referring to the story of Jacob in Genesis 28. If you recall the story, Jacob had an older brother. Jacob had an older brother named Esau. And Jacob is right now in Genesis 28 running for his life from his older brother who wants to kill him. Because he sold his birthright, right? Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, his younger brother, for a bowl of lentil soup because he was so hungry. And because of this, Jacob, with the help of his mother, dressed him up. He dressed up as Esau to receive the blessing from his father Isaac, who couldn't see very well. And when Esau found out what happened, he wanted to kill Jacob. Just can you imagine, how many of you guys are younger siblings? Some of you guys younger siblings? Imagine, well, how many of you guys are older siblings? Older siblings probably even more, okay. Imagine if your younger sister or if your younger brother went behind your back and received the entire family inheritance that was supposed to be for you. I don't know. Some of us are like, oh, that's like not much. Or maybe some of us like billions of dollars. And they run away. Right? Because we love Jesus, we probably don't want to kill our siblings, right? But you would be mad, right? Esau wanted to kill Jacob because... Jacob stole his birthright. So as Jacob was running away from Esau, he was going to this place called Haran. But on his way, he got tired. Right? I don't know how long he was running, but he got tired. So he just takes a nap. So random. Right? Even if your life is on the line, I don't know. Maybe you're still tired. Take a nap. He takes a nap. And as he falls asleep, in his dream, in his dream, God shows up. And we see angels going up and down the ladder. And during the dream, God promises Jacob something. 
God promises and reassures Jacob that the land that he's lying on right now is the land that God will give and that his descendants will be numerous as the dirt and that God will not leave him. Meaning God will be with Jacob until that promise has been fulfilled. As soon as Jacob wakes up, he calls that place Bethel, which means the house of God. So why does Jesus mention the story of Jacob to Nathaniel? I believe it all goes back to John chapter 1, verse 14. A word became flesh to dwell, to pitch a tent, to encamp, to build a temple among us. Jesus is reminding Nathaniel that he is the temple. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, that he is the new Bethel, the new dwelling place. And just as God promised Jacob in Bethel, Jesus is promising Nathaniel and to all of us who are in Christ, who choose to follow Jesus, that all the promises will be fulfilled in Jesus. In and through Jesus, our hope, is this, our hope of this new dwelling place, this new Bethel, this new house of God that we have full backstage VIP pass to. Jesus is painting a picture for Nathaniel and to all of us. He's painting a picture of what we should expect when we follow him. Through his life and his death, through the cross and through the empty tomb, we have this new, eternal, everlasting hope. Regardless of what we've done, regardless of who we are, there's nothing that disqualifies us in Christ because he has paid it all on the cross. And through his sacrifice, we receive forgiveness. Through his sacrifice on the cross, we receive this new identity as well as, as, well as a new and eternal hope. Where we were once slaves to sin, we are now called his beloved children. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. To a life of promise, fulfillment, peace, and hope. To a life that is more than we can ever imagine. Friends, as we personally encounter Jesus, it leads to stories, testimonies of God's faithfulness despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion. As we personally encounter Jesus on a daily basis, testimonies, blessings begin to pile up. For some of us, we went to this conference in Chicago last week called One in Love Conference. And I've asked them to write a testimony. I've asked them to write a response, things that they learned through this um, conference. And I was so blessed just reading these testimonies because it is so clearly vivid that Jesus is working in your lives. It's so clearly vivid that Jesus wanted to use you, wanted you to be at oil for that reason, to bless you and to equip you for this coming semester. As we personally encounter Jesus on an everyday basis, he offers us true peace. He offers us eternal hope that can be found nowhere else in this world. But some of us are willing to pay a lot of money. Some of us are willing to invest a lot of our time and effort looking for a false sense of hope, false sense of peace. Yet this true peace and true hope that Jesus offers is free for us. And many of us have encountered this Jesus, thanks to those people that God has placed in our lives. 
uh, through uh, our past and present pastors and teachers, through our family members and friends. And as I mentioned earlier, you are sitting here this morning today, or you're walking with Jesus today because God used somebody to lead you and bring you to Jesus. Not so that you can enjoy and hoard the blessings for yourselves, but so that you, can, so that you too can be that person to someone who does, not, who does not know Jesus right now. God's not interested, friends, in our knowledge or theology or people skills. Pastor God, I, I have the heart, but I just don't have the skills. I know a lot of non-Christian friends around me, but I'm just really bad with people skills. I don't really know that much of the Bible. I just started going to church like last year. Philip started going to church like the day before. Right? God's not interested in our skills, but he's interested in our willingness to be used by him. So are you willing? Friends, as we close our time together this morning, can we go to the Lord in prayer? Not only are we to share about Jesus to our family and, to, and our friends, but we are also, also to share about our family and our friends to Jesus. Let me say this again. Not only are we to share Jesus to our family and friends, but we are to also share about our family and friends to Jesus. This is called intercessory prayer. Meaning, before we go and share the gospel to others, let's first and foremost share with Jesus about the people that we want to share the gospel with. Pray for them and ask God for those divine appointments. Ask God for those divine opportunities for you to share. So that all you have to say is Jesus, and they come to know Jesus, right? It's not our words that lead people to Jesus. It's not our actions that lead people to Jesus. It's our heart that is devoted to Christ and Christ alone and our genuine love for others that lead people to Jesus. As God desires to use in each and every one of us, even in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our imperfections, in the midst of our sins, I pray that we will have willing hearts, willing hands, and willing feet to share with those around us regarding the greatest news of all, of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray for about a minute before we go into a time of communion. Uh, maybe we can think of a few faces, a few names that we can lift up. Some people in our families, some people in our, some of our friends in our friend groups, our coworkers, our, um, our classmates, people that are lost, people that are coming to you and sharing with you the struggles in life. Don't give them some temporary fix. Give them the real remedy, the true cure in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for a few of them by name, I just want to give us about a minute or so as we pray uh, for them, saying, God, won't you give me a heart to genuinely love them, and won't you provide divine appointments, divine opportunities for me to share about you. Help me not to focus so much on my pride on my, of my reputation, but help me to focus more on the soul that is dying without Jesus. Let's pray for about a minute. And then we'll go into a time of communion.